This is Celebration Church, but it's more than just a building or a church. We have a calling to be a place where people can find a relationship with God instead of religion. A place where freedom is found and acceptance given, and every person can discover their purpose and experience the kind of fulfillment only God can give. Together we will raise, lead, and empower a generation to change the world. Here, Jesus is famous, and all the glory goes to God. This is celebration. This is our family. Welcome home. Well, good morning, and welcome to those of you joining us at our campuses and online. Would you all stand with me, please, as we recite the Apostles' Creed? This is our statement of faith and what we believe in as a church here at Celebration Church. We believe in God, the Father Almighty, the creator of heaven and earth. We believe in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who for us and for our salvation was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended to the dead, and on the third day he rose again. He ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of the Father. He will come again to judge the living and the dead, and his kingdom will have no end. We believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Christian Church, the fellowship of believers, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. You may be seated. Well, Pastor Mark and Deanna are on the road again this week with their Laugh Your Way ministry. We're so delighted that they have the opportunity to impact couples all over the country, and we've just had a privilege to be bringing in some really dear, dear friends to Celebration Church to cover the gap while Pastor Mark is not here. But I'm gonna turn things over to Pastor Mark via video so he can give you a proper introduction of today's guest. Hello, Celebration. Good morning and greetings from the Pacific Northwest where we've had a unending series of rainy days, gloomy days, drizzle, <laughs> fog, and no sunshine. Uh, boy, people think we're crazy for living in Wisconsin, but I don't know how people stand this. I'd go nuts. Anyway, we're up here. We've been doing a series of events for couples. Uh, for those of you who are fairly new to Celebration, and are wondering where I've been for the last couple of weeks. Um, we travel all over the world doing events for couples, uh, ministering to them, and uh, you know that's kind of my special ministry. It's a way that Celebration Church is able to reach out and touch uh, people's lives all over the world and help build strong and healthy marriages. So that's what I do. Uh, every year at this time, I get hammered for requests uh, because this is the love month. This is the month of Valentine's Day and, you know, everybody and their uncle uh, is calling us and asking us to come in and speak to their groups. So we get hammered. The good news for us, this is the time of year where uh, kind of puts everything in the financial black for us, just like retailers have the holidays where all of a sudden everything comes together or a farmer has harvest where they, they make their win at the end of the year. This is our harvest time, if you will. Uh, it's very taxing but it's good for us and uh, it helps us to continue to do what we're doing. As I'm out doing these things, we have special speakers come in, ministering at celebration. This morning we have Bishop Ed Gunger, 
who my brother is going to be sharing with you. Looking forward to that in just a minute. Deanna is not here. She just hopped on a plane, headed to Alaska to spend some time with her family for a few days. Uh, uh, in the meanwhile, I'll be coming back this afternoon. And then we have our state of the state or state of the church uh, meetings where we'll be coming in and discussing uh, the finances of the church, how well we're doing, what our goals, our plans are. We'll be announcing uh, what, uh, how we did for our legacy giving and stuff. So make your plans. Depends on your campus. Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, uh, we'll be coming in and meeting with you. I will be sharing with you. You just saw the State of the Union address. Now you get to come to hear the State of the Church address. And when I'm done, Bishop Ed can tear up my speech. <laughs> okay, that was bad. <laughs> anyway, um, what else am I doing? Uh, I don't know what else I'm talking about. Anyway, uh, I guess that's it. So let's uh, give a warm welcome this morning to Bishop Ed. Such a funny guy. Well, we're, hello. I'm so delighted to be here. I work uh, week in and week out with uh, behind the scenes with Phil and Becky and with Pastor Mark and uh, working to, as we're thinking through and reimagining uh, our processes, procedures, and vision and mission for the church. I, so I get to see them all the time. I'm, uh, celebration is in my heart. The network is in my heart. And I, I, because of my uh, responsibilities, in particular at this season, one of our churches that I'm responsible for as a bishop, there's six or seven of them, uh, is, in, is in a little bit of decline. And so we're in Tulsa week in and week out helping on that end of it. And we're seeing some change, which is beautiful. Uh, but And this year I'm opening up a little more because I want to be able to be here with you. You guys are so wonderful. We just like Wisconsin people, right? I mean, really, uh, the, the way that you open your hearts and the way you take your faith seriously, and you're just delightful, delightful group to be around. So we're, we're, we're delighted to be here. All right, we're still in the season of epiphany, as Pastor Mark has been iterating. Uh, if you pay attention in any way to the Christian calendar, uh, you know that now is the season where this is historically celebrated. Uh, I didn't used to pay attention to the calendar until I was into my late 40s, but I have since doing uh, one of my degrees in history, uh, early church history, I've, I've, I've discovered that there's gold in them hills and that there's something really wonderful about how the the... Uh, calendar calls to our hearts different aspects of what our faith is about and follows the life of Jesus. It's not unlike the American calendar. You know, we have a season where we remember our uh, people that have given their lives for us in, in, as soldiers. We remember times where we talk about um, Thanksgiving and being upping our Thanksgiving. It's not that we're not thankful, but we like special seasons or birthdays, things like that where we celebrate the person. What happens on the calendar orients us a bit. And, and if you've never walked through the church calendar, you might want to lift up your ears a little bit, Google a little bit, and find out how these seasons actually bring to the fore things that are, that are, are meant to impress our lives or form us in certain kinds of ways. When one has an epiphany, when we talk about epiphany, it's an aha moment, right? Like, like if you're watching a film that has multiple storylines, you're a little bit confused, but you stick with it, and at some point, you're, bam, right? Something hits you. You go, oh, that's what's going on. You have this ah moment. You go, that's what an epiphany is. 
It's this moment at which things you didn't catch, even though we were seeing different aspects of things, didn't really come together. The church has claimed historically that God loves to do that for people. And so Epiphany is that season where we celebrate how God makes God's self known to human beings. Uh, There isn't adequate language to communicate what's really going on when people have an encounter where God seems to become known to them. I mean, the knowledge isn't exactly like other kinds of knowings that we have, like the speed of light or something, or gravity. It's, it's something else. And, and the knowledge, uh, it, it carries, a, this kind of knowledge carries a kind of mystery to it. Um, though it's real, it's real in some kind of unexplainable way. It's not too distant from the claim that you make when you look at a person and you feel this thing going on and you've had this interaction with this being and you go, I love you. How can you describe that? You can talk about it a little bit, but words are too pale. Words can't describe really what's going on when you say, I love you. It's a bit like beauty. We can talk about beauty with words, but something more is needed. Interaction is required. So there's something about that in this business of God making God's self known to us, that it's not just simply put into words. Here's a sampler of a description that an individual makes about that moment of encounter where God made himself known. Uh, And I think some of you, many of you will appreciate this. Quote, I remember the night and almost the very spot on the hilltop where my soul opened out, as it were, into the infinite. And there was a rushing together of two worlds, the inner and the outer. It was deep calling unto deep. The deep that in my own struggle had opened up within, being answered by the unfathomable deep without. Reaching beyond the stars, I stood alone with him who had made me and all the beauty of the world. The perfect stillness of the night was thrilled by a more solemn silence. The darkness held a presence that was all the more felt because it was not seen. I could not any more have doubted that he was there than that I was. Indeed, I felt myself to be, if possible, the less real of the two, end quote. We celebrate this kind of thing during this season called Epiphany. And for those of you who have not had anything like that happen heretofore, welcome. And you may have something wonderful to look forward to. Maybe it will happen in this time, the singing, the prayer, the end when we come to the table where God makes himself known to you. Now there are two spiritual ideas that come to us in this season that is to push us in particular directions and calls us to embrace them as part of our lived experience. One is to celebrate the idea that God loves to make himself known. We're to muse that, we're to ponder it, and we're to be open to more epiphanies or aha moments from God and our relationship and interaction with God, whether it's in scripture, whether it's coming and singing or in messages, whatever, that God wants to make himself known to you. To your family, and to celebrate that idea. The second thing is, whoever God has revealed himself to, we should carry a desire to make God known to others who do not yet see him clearly. I think we should be burdened with the notion that we should encourage faith in others, not coercively, 
not violently, but in a way where we see ourselves not as holier than others or better than others, but as others are in need of understanding. Uh, And it's not even necessary that we have to use a bunch of words to bring this about, but by living in a certain way, where the, a way that reveals that we carry deep waters in our souls, where we carry what the old saints would call a weight of glory, that there seems to be something more going on in us than what can just be described. They have to experience it as they walk with us and as they live with us. One of my favorite passages of scripture in Hebrews 7 that talks about Jesus basically claims that Jesus had the power of an indestructible life. There was something about Jesus. It was more than what he said. Because oftentimes when he was talking, people didn't even understand what he was saying. They would come to him sidebar and say, well, what do you mean? Because <laughs> they didn't quite get it. And yet they followed him Right? They eventually, many of them gave their lives for him. Why? There was something about Jesus, something in his eyes, something in his voice, something in his actions that you knew that you were the biggest thing going in Jesus' eyes. There's a beautiful story about Jesus talking to this rich young ruler, and he's about ready to tell the guy to give all his money away. And, and when we read it in modern kind of thinking, you read that and say, oh, he's trying to correct him to make sure you understand what's going on. But the text actually says, when the guy is trying to figure out how to gain eternal life, Jesus asked him, maybe follow the commandments. He said, I've done all that. It says that Jesus looks at him, he's about ready to tell him, go sell all you have. Big deal. But as scripture says, he looked at him and he loved him and he said, go sell. See, Jesus isn't just out being teachy or preachy. Jesus is out falling in love with people, celebrating them, honoring them, respecting them. Even when they kill him, he's on the tree saying, Father, forgive them. They don't know. They don't see. There's something about this Jesus that when they encounter him, he doesn't convince them rather to follow him. They just see him and they drop everything and follow him. They just leave their nets and they followed him. Why? It wasn't because he had the best thoughts, the most convincing arguments, the philosophical expressions that everybody goes, wow. It was just Jesus. I would suggest that what we're being called to really is to learn to live the kind of life that's been impressed by the eternal that just cannot be ignored. Jesus said, when you walk in these kinds of ways where you're, where he talks about the beatitudes, the, the be attitudes, some people say it only works in English, but the idea of the ways that you're to be, right? That somehow that makes people rubberneck. They, what? What's going on? And in that moment, you become light, well, when you're in darkness, light really captures your attention. We'd turn all these lights off and somebody over in the corner lit a match. I am telling you, all our eyes would go there because light captures people in darkness. He says, you're the light. You're supposed to capture people's lives. You're supposed to walk in and things are just not as dark, not as gloomy, not as bad because you're there. And then he said also that you're also the salt of the world. Man, salt keeps stuff from rotting. In the, in the pre-refrigerated world, that, that is the most, it was so important for salt to keep rot out of the meats. Somehow we're to live in a way that just keeps rot out that keeps 
things from going sour and bad, that we preserve friendships, we preserve homes, we preserve values on the job. There's something about us that just makes it less rotting. And salt, which is the best part in my view, makes stuff tasty. You have some eggs, eggs are pretty good, we throw a little salt on it and shazam. It's really good. It just, mm, it just tastes better with salt. See, what you should be doing is when you get up in the morning and walk into the room, your kids and your husband or your wife or whatever should be saying, it just tastes better when you're around. Or when you go to work, it should be, mm, I don't know what it is about you. Mm, it's less rotten and it tastes pretty good. You just make things tastier. This is the kind of way that we're called to live. It's not just about our words or about our beliefs or about our dogmas that, that, that's supposed to carry the capacity to make God known to the world. But it's our lives. Certainly words are in the mix. I'm, I'm not trying to say they shouldn't be. But they're tiny compared to how you live, how you love, how you handle success or failure, how you handle illness or health, how you relate to money, how you forgive people who you'd rather simply hate. That captures attention. St. Francis is credited with, with saying, always preach the gospel, sometimes use words. I grew up as an evangelical saying, always preach the gospel, always use words. Lots of words, persuasive words, invasive words, sometimes threatening words. If you don't listen to me, just wait till the rapture. I'm not against words and some people are amazing with them and can talk freely with others about Christ without that person feeling in any sense uh, that they're threatened or being one-upped by anyone. They're just such gifted kind of evangelist people. They're amazing to be around and watch how they flow. But not all of us are that. I think, though, that all of us can be engaged in Reveal God Project, in the Reveal God Project, or letting Jesus be made famous project without having the gift of gab. So let me hone in in a couple of ways to live in a way that will create some questions and will make God known. I got real blathery in the first service and didn't get to my four little points I wanted to make and Lord willing and if the creek don't rise, we'll get there. <laughs> All right, so first, the first thing that you can do to when you're encountering people in your life, in your family, in your home, in your neighborhood, in your workplace, in your community of faith. The first thing that you should do when you see people is remember, if you want to impress them with the revelation of God, that everyone's life is a sacred story. Everyone. Even people you would consider pagans, agnostics, atheists, of another faith. That everyone has some kind of sacred story. God is moving in their life in some way. They may be confused about it. They may be co-opting what God's goodness is doing in their lives into some narrative that's false, but that doesn't mean God's not doing it. Right? Great story in Acts 14. Paul and Barnabas roll into the city. There's a guy that's sick or that's lame. He gets healed. The guy stands up healed. Everybody's freaking out. But you know what they said? I mean, it's a God deal, a God story. And yet they thought that it was Zeus and Hermes, these Greek sky gods, right, that did this. And they thought that Paul and Barnabas were, were Hermes and Zeus. 
And so they contacted the local Zeus zone <laughs> place. And uh, they got some of the priests of Zeus to come, and they're bringing bulls and stuff. They're going to sacrifice them to Paul and Barnabas. And, you know, they're speaking in the, like, uh, this different language, like only language, and they don't understand what's really going on until they bring these bulls. They're going, whoa, 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 what was the bulls? Right? What's going on here? And they, found, they, said, they said, we're not gods. They ripped their clothes. We're not gods. And Paul began to iterate basically, in, in a, I'm sort of paraphrasing it. He basically says, guys, you're confused. It's a legitimate God thing, but you've co-opted it into a narrative that isn't true. And, but he said, well, here's what he says. He doesn't get mad at them, which right there leaves me because for so long I get mad at people that didn't get it right, thinking that the anger of man somehow demonstrated God's righteousness. Not true, right? So Paul says, you guys are just simply confused. But he said, even though you're confused, this is Acts 14, he says, God has not left himself without a testimony in your life. Wow. That means people in all generations, all around the world, in all religious contexts, in all spaces, in the darkest jungle, the biggest cities, God's working giving witness of his presence in their lives. It's just most people co-opted into a different narrative. They think it's karma. They think it's luck. They think it's some God that they're worshiping. They don't understand that it isn't. It's the true God that sent Jesus Christ. But God doesn't get mad at him. And he continues to testify. Paul said, he testifies. Listen to his testimony, God's testimony in their lives. He sends you the rain and the sunshine and gives you harvest. What he's really saying is anything that's good for you, any business you do, it's enabled by God. It's a good from God even if you don't give him credit. God's still working. And then he says, crazy thing to me, uh, captures me. And he gives you all the joy that fills your hearts. These pagans, everything that brings joy, falling in love, holding new babies, hanging with friends, seeing things happen, that dreams fulfilled. All that's God's gift to people. And he's a witnessing to that testifying to that in all these lives, even though they don't understand it. Here's the point. If God just loves people like that, shouldn't we? Shouldn't we celebrate them? I mean, I think we should observe and listen and engage without judgment that believe that God is already there, not that he shows up when we come, but he's already there before we, can't, before we got there. And we just simply are giving witness to God's testimony in their lives. Again, first thing, remember that everyone's life is a sacred story and celebrate that story. Number two, look for ways to be a great neighbor to them. Some of you immediately recognize that I'm working off Jesus' Good Samaritan story here, and that's what we're going to rest in on this tech, in this sermon. Being neighborly reveals God to people. So let's look at what that constitutes. Let's look at the parable of the Good Samaritan. It's very, very familiar to most of you. It says in Luke 10, on one occasion, an expert of the law stood up to test Jesus. Teacher, the expert asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? What is written in your law, Jesus asked, replied. How do you read it? And the expert says, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind and love your neighbor as yourself. You have answered correctly, Jesus replied. Do that. You'll live. You'll taste eternal life. But he wanted to justify himself, this, this expert, so he asked the question, well, who's my neighbor? 
And then Jesus launches into this incredible, disruptive kind of idea. The hero in this story is not the religious Jew, not the priest, not the Levite, but a Samaritan. Samaritans were not, had much to do with the Jews, and the, Samarit- the Jews didn't think the Samaritans were legit. They would be like calling someone of another faith the hero, right? So in, in this story, calling someone that would disagree with you that's not part of your group the hero, and very disruptive, but Jesus goes. In reply, Jesus said, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho where he was attacked by robbers, They stripped him of his clothes. They beat him and went away, leaving him half dead. Priests happened to be going by on the same road. When he saw the guy, passed to the other side. So to a Levite, another religious guy, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he traveled, came where the man was, and when he saw him, he took pity on him. He went to him, bandaged his wounds, pouring oil and wine on him. And then he put the man in his own donkey, brought him to an inn, took care of him. The next day he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper. Look after him, he said. And when I return, I'll reimburse you for any extra expense that you've had. Which of these three, Jesus asked, do you think was the neighbor to the man who fell into the hand of the robbers? The expert in the law replied, the one who had mercy on him. And Jesus said, go do that. Go do likewise. Now, in this story, Jesus is trying to teach us about how we live in a walkabout world and how our lives are to carry the impress of the idea of this voice of the gospel to be neighborly in this way. Now, there's four stages in this text I want to quickly show you that make us good neighbors, the kind of neighbors that have a distinct way of being, the kind of neighbor that lives an irresistible life, the kind of neighbor that carries that kind of uh, power that was in the life of Jesus and to make known to people around us. All right, so stage one. Take note of people in your context who are hurting. Don't be so self-absorbed that you're just looking at life from your own perspective and doing your own thing. Stop, listen, look at faces, listen to people chatting, and look and be open to finding those that have been beaten in their lives in some way. It could be somebody that's in a lesser position where you work. It could be your kid coming back from home and you're writing off what they're doing to rebellion. Maybe it's not rebellion. Maybe there's some hurt that's there. Try to ask the Holy Spirit to help you be just a little more aware of the hurting. Because otherwise you'll be like the priest who happened to be going down the same road when he sees the guy passes on the other side. What was going on there? Maybe he's too busy. Maybe he thought the same thing would happen to him if he lingered in the area. <laughs> he just got mugged, right? Maybe. And then the Levite, when he came to the place, he passed by the other side. We don't know what he was thinking, but he didn't stop. Do you stop? Do you notice? The Samaritan does. This is, we, we see that in the Samaritan story that he was some kind of merchant. He was obviously very busy. Uh, and the guy is that's lying on the ground that's been beaten, it wasn't his neighbor in the sense that he knew the guy. It was his neighbor in the sense Jesus is casting what neighbors are like. But this guy wasn't his own people. It was a person from a different group. The beaten guy was foreign to the Samaritan. And yet he stops and he lets the beaten man's plight seize him, pull him, 
So stage one is taking note of those in pain and stopping. It means getting involved, even if it's inconvenient. And it means being empathetic. Second stage. Do what you can when you stop, but not more than what you can. You don't have to be the big counselor. You don't have to be the big whatever. Just do what is in your heart to do that is actually practical. The Samaritan helped the wounded guy with what he had. He had some bandages. He bandaged his wounds. He had some oil and wine. Used that as a kind of healing salve. He had a donkey. He put the guy in the donkey. Brought him to an inn. Took care of him. He used his resources basically to do triage on the guy. But notice what he didn't do. He didn't walk up to the guy and start getting all spiritual on him. Saying, oh, you're in pain. Maybe that's evidence that you're not right with God. Let me tell you the four spiritual laws. Well, let me tell you that God's plans are mysterious and it'll get better. See you later. He didn't try to deliver a message spiritually. He actually got engaged. I have to confess, for years as a pastor, when I ran into people's physical needs, I generally always went to, if I help them physically, maybe I can lead them to Christ. I always had an agenda. So in, back in the 80s, we would bring, did a food bank because it was so much. Those of you that are in Wisconsin, I pastored in Wisconsin, you remember some of the recessions that was going on. There were hundreds of families that were affected in, middle, in rural uh, central Wisconsin, to be sure. And so we would bring in bags of food that we'd bring in and, uh, and then invite people to come. They'd come by the hundreds. So they're there coming into the church, but this is how it played out. We first had them sign up and give us their contact information, which I didn't realize is, is, is a bit invasive and, and potentially shaming, right? Who wants to write, give record that they needed free food? But I wasn't sensitive to that. I was just trying to figure out what would be best for us to be able to do what we needed to do. And then we herded them into an area and gave, uh, and said to them, basically, before we give you this food, we want to give you an opportunity to, to hear the gospel. So we'd preach to them for a while, and then we'd have an altar call. Now, I think those altar calls are wonderful, preaching's wonderful, but we had connected it to something. And when I was, we had a kind of, we were giving, but with an agenda. It felt horrible to me. And, and so what we ended up doing, we changed it. So we'd give them the food and they say, if you want to hang around, we'll talk to you. But that, we didn't make it a prerequisite. It, it felt awkward because God had spoken to me from Matthew 5, where in Matthew 5 it says, Jesus said, I want you to be children of your Father in heaven. Well, how do we do that? How do we look like our dad? How do we look like the Father? The Father causes the sunshine to rise on evil people and good people. The Father sends rain on righteous people and unrighteous people. In other words, there's some aspect of God where God just sends out grace, common grace, no hooks, no requirements, no prerequisites. He just sends out grace. One of the ways we show the God to the world is by finding those spaces of common grace where we just give without expectation or agenda. I did not give an agendaless kind of expression as an evangelical. My giving carried the agenda. I wanted to have converts. A couple of weeks ago, I went fishing with Mark, my brother Mark, Pastor Mark, in Mexico, and we used bait. Um, we were giving the fish exactly what they wanted, what they needed to survive. But we had an agenda. We had fishing poles and lines and hooks. We wanted to catch them, not help them. 
See, sometimes if you're not careful, that's what you're doing when you're being kind, is you want to catch people. What if we're just supposed to just throw the bait out of the boat, no strings attached, no hooks? What if God is the kind of God that just takes bait that everybody wants and everybody needs, sunshine and harvest and blessing, and just throws them in the water? No strings attached. So whether or not they even know it's God, it doesn't matter to God. And if one of them gets so excited they jump out and land in the boat, that's great. But if they don't, that's okay too. What if God is like that? In our story, also notice that the Samaritan did not try to correct the beaten guy for being in a sketchy part of town and it just wasn't wisdom. So try to explain to him. How many of us get teachy when people are in pain? We want to make sure they understand if they'd have chosen other, made other choices, they would have been fine. What is that? When you encounter people in pain, don't get preachy or teachy, at least not in that moment. If they come back to you after you've been kind and loving and giving and they ask, what's going on in you? That's different. Simply tend to people's wounds, right? Simply just engage with them with a listening ear and invite them into a journey with you to a safe place. Oftentimes that's the church or friends of faith that you can invite them into. Stage three, most critical for me. Am I out of time again? You know, I've got to go back to school. For crying out, I really am. You're just too easy to preach to. All right. How do I end this, Lord? Stage three is just simply notice that the Samaritan helps, but then he has someone else enter and to care for the person, and he continues his journey. Here's where most of us get in trouble. When you help needy people, they tend to want to cling to you. And, if you, and it's wonderful to be clung to because then you feel important. And we want to be heroes in America particularly. We want to believe that we are the only ones that can really help people. And there are some people that when they're hurting, they cling to you. But if you're not careful, that clinging can lead to destruction. And you, instead of bringing them into the celebration of your life, will be drawn into the pain of theirs. They're like, I call them the lamprey eel people. They're not mean. They're not trying to be mean. Lamprey eels are not trying to be mean to fish. They're just trying to survive. So you know how lamprey eel works. They got introduced into the uh, Great Lakes. You know, they kind of sliver up to fish Hey, man. And the fish going, hi. And then the lamprey eel just says, well, how you doing? Pretty good. And then the lamprey eel just comes up on the fish's body and goes, fuck, <laughs> right? And the lamprey eel has razor sharp teeth and it begins to cut into the fish while they're talking, you know, hanging together. And before you know it, that lamprey eel breaks through, sucks all the blood, <laughs> sucks out all the guts, and then goes on to meet a new friend. And that fish just kind of drifts. No life in their eyes, right? The fish has basically been killed. Some of you don't like helping hurting people because you've reached people or people have reached you that have sucked all the life out of you. And even though you'd like to help, you think, can't get too involved. Well, the way to, to keep out of that is to recognize Get involved with people, but invite other people to be involved. They will hate it because they'll want you to just do it. That's a sign you're with an a eel person. 
And then lastly, when you continue your journey, you have no right to stop your journey for somebody else's. No matter how pain-filled it is, you have no right to give up your life for someone else. That's Jesus' job. You invite others into the story, but then just come back. That's the last stage. Come back and check on the guy. Here's the deal, what I'm saying to you. Stand up so you think I'm done. Here's the deal. God is not asking you to do something as a human decision. He's asking you to position your heart before him in a way where you catch life. We serve the resurrected Christ, the one who sits at God's right hand listening for our cries. We serve the one who wants to be expressed into the world and he's trusting you. He believes in you. He's hopeful that you will discover, even if your name isn't Billy Graham or Mother Teresa, that you can still change your world. And so as we discover that and we open our hearts and we let these things impress on us to live an indestructible life, right, that somehow we start catching reflections of the Spirit, not our own reflection, not our own choosing, but somehow we capture light. We don't have any light. We only have borrowed light, like, like the moon. The moon doesn't have any light. Your kids might have thought, look, the, look, the moon is lighted. It's not, kid, lighted. All it's doing is positioning itself to capture light and reflect it back to the world. That's our goal, is to, because the moon, you know the moon, study the moon. What's, what, what does it have, light? No, craters, that's what the moon is, craters, and a dark side. And if we really look at you closely, there's no light, even though you can reflect it from God. But Lou, all you got, really, if we're honest, if you really look at my life, all I really have, to be honest, are craters and a dark side. Right? Our only hope is to position ourselves to catch light and to reflect it to the world, to make God known, to give epiphanies to people. So the message basically is this. Moon the world. <laughs> all right, sit back down. <laughs> 